Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily DC. The death toll in this coronavirus crisis in the United States has now crossed 1,000, a grim milestone that only further illustrates how rapidly this disease is spreading across the country. And despite what politicians are saying, Dr. Anthony Fauci told CNN last night, the virus sets the timeline. Well, how long? What you've got to do, Chris, you've got to be realistic and you've got to understand that you don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. Mm. So you've got to respond in what you see happen. And as our focus as a nation turns inward, it's easy to forget that this is a truly global pandemic. So to help give us that global perspective and explain how America's national security interests are impacted by this disease, we've got CNN anchor and chief national security correspondent Jim Shudo here. Jim, thank you so much for joining us uh, and doing so remotely. We're once again uh, recording this podcast in multiple locations as we work from home. And apologies to the listeners who may hear uh, the springtime lawnmower going on right outside the room I'm recording in. Jim, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Let me, um, I, I, you know, President Trump, Jim, met with the G20 remotely. He was part of this G20 mm. meeting uh, this morning and leaders around the world uh, you know, nothing. I don't think they came out with any kind of uh, collective plan across all these countries, except a commitment to do everything possible uh, to try and, and stem this uh, tide uh, that uh, so many nations are facing. And, and it it made me think for a second, you know, so much of this is so personal for so many people, and it's impacting everyone in their professional lives, in their personal lives, their family members, that you, you know, I think we sometimes lose sight that this is a global uh, pandemic. And I wonder, is there something that the, you know, the world of nations together could actually be doing here? Well, they have to, right? It's a global problem by its nature, by definition, right? A pandemic is, is a global outbreak. Uh, at a minimum, you need to be sharing information, right? Sharing information about how the virus spreads, who is most vulnerable, so that you can learn before it hits your shores, which it inevitably will. Beyond that, uh, there are measures that are, you know, if they're not joint, they're still going to have effects across borders, right? You know, if I block flights from China, that affects me, my travelers, but it also affects uh, that country's travelers as well. So whether or not you do it with the agreement of the other party or parties, you know, you're having, having global effects. So, you know, it's relatively early. What is that kind of sharing and cooperation been like so far? I mean, the fact is not as good as we'd like it to be. I mean, on information sharing, I mean, one of the fundamental questions early on was, was China being honest about the figures early on? Were they suppressing the true extent and so on? Because this is a government that does not Listen, it's not an open society in China. And, and early on, in fact, there was evidence that they were they were in denial and, and they even... Yeah, I was going to say, we actually have an answer to that question, yeah. right? They, we did not have all the information no, properly. No, they, they, uh, yeah. they were denying their own people that information, right? Because early on, some of the early, you know, warnings, they were muted, they were muffled by China. Some of that reversed, you know, some of these doctors who, who were um, early, giving early warnings were deliberately silenced by the government. Now that turned around 
as they as they came to you know realize the true extent of it, but also ran into the reaction of the Chinese people to that. Uh, but still, to this day, because you know one consistent thing with China is, is you know on their on their economic figures or other figures, they're not honest about them. So we have to factor that into the calculation. We have better data from them now, but but you can't expect that it's perfect data from them. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dr. Bricks has uh, referenced getting. Uh, data from Italy and Spain and other partners that actually seems to be quite important as the United States tries and uh, to plot sort of the various data points to track uh, the speed of the spread here. And that 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 data from our international partners is critical to that. It project. is. It is. And to be fair, China is not the only country that has, has, been, has been perfect on this. I mean, there's, there's even been information sharing problems within Italy because you have competitive regions there that weren't sharing the information uh, as well as they could. Now, some of that has improved over time, but, it, but it's not perfect. Um, so, so set that aside for a moment. The information is crucial. Speed of spread, vectors for spread, who spreads it, you know, is it just the symptomatic or the asymptomatic? I mean, a lot of the things we know now in the U.S. are because we saw it uh, in China and Italy before us, the other thing is who's vulnerable, right? You know, you know the, the, I've been talking to Sanjay Gupta on this air on the air a number of times about this. You know, like the first signs that it was not only the elderly who were vulnerable came from China and Italy because you had people in their twenties, thirties, and forties who were being affected, and, and we're still learning about that. But but things like smokers, right, who who already had compromised lungs, that that is a factor. There's some. Uh, thinking in the U.S. about the possibility that vaping might be a factor. And some of that is because we looked elsewhere and say, hey, wait a second, there's a warning here and that may help us. Again, you wish that information sharing was better and quicker, but, but there, has been, there, there has been some and, and that's helped. Jim, let me also just ask you, as a national security matter, how the country's national security apparatus is involved in in this uh, kind of battle against a pandemic. I mean, I read the Politico story today that suggested there was literally a national security document with the word playbook on it on how to deal with something like this. I know the administration now says it's sort of out of date. It's from a few years ago, and they're and they're perfecting it based on the reality of what they're experiencing with experiencing now. But but this is. Um, when when the president discusses it as sort of war footing or what have you, this actually is a national security matter, not not simply a public health matter. No question, it is. It, it is because it's a global problem that, that is stretching. It's killing people, right? That's the ultimate measure of national security. Um, it is uh, hobbling economies that you know that has a national security effect, but it also has it has an effect on the military, right? I mean, we're seeing that now. Uh, you know, it's just a few hundred that have been confirmed to be con- infected in the U.S. military, but their concern is that that it goes f- further than that. I'll just give you an example: the USS Theodore Roosevelt aircraft carrier. Uh, there have been eight or nine confirmed infections on that ship. They're now testing all five thousand sailors on that ship because, like cruise ships. Navy ships are perfect incubators for this, right? Close quarters, uh, shared facilities, bathrooms, uh, you know, dining facilities, etc. The Navy's concerned because if you have a broader outbreak, then those ships can't operate, and then the U.S. military cannot fulfill its um, its uh, national security obligations around the globe, um, which are stretched. Another piece of that, David, is is a concern that who might seek to take advantage of this, 
The U.S. has well, a lot. Precisely. I mean, this yeah. this to me is like what our intelligence agencies, right, need to be focused on so much. We're totally consumed with this now. And what does that leave open to potential bad actors yes. who want to take advantage? It's a concern. And, and I've been told that when this kind of thing happens, that messages go out to adversaries to say, in effect, don't mess with us. Right. You know, you know, back channel communications to say, don't mess with us. But you might also have a communication to say, and by the way, we're not going to mess with you right now. You know, we got bigger fish to fry. And, and, and that's because that concern. Now, those messages don't always get listened to. I, I, I could tell you that we could expect that folks in the Middle East right now are watching Iranian forces very close. Now, Iran has its own coronavirus problem, but do Iranian-backed forces take advantage of this? Does Russia take advantage of this uh, in Ukraine? Does China take advantage of this elsewhere? So that, that you know, the, the, the dander is up, if that's, if that's the right expression, as, as folks look out, look out for that, those kinds of threats. And then, you know, also looking at your own capabilities, like I was saying, can you keep your forces, your deployed forces, you know, in, in, a, in a fighting capability if, if they're called upon. Yeah. So uh, you had mentioned uh, the initial going with China and information both to their own people, but also globally. Uh, but take me inside, and obviously you are expert in this. I mean, the U.S.-China relationship uh, was a strained relationship at this very moment yeah. with tariffs and what have you uh, at the time when we probably needed to work more cooperatively uh, than in any time in recent history. And and yet we we had this other sort of big economic strain on the relationship. And I'm just wondering if you could take us inside how the two intersect, how yeah. that uh, how that impacts our ability uh, to to work with a country like China that is adversarial, that we are in a tense relationship with, and yet totally dependent upon. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I, and I do want to focus on China, it goes to every relationship, right? And it's a fundamental challenge to Trump's approach to the world, right? America First is about, is about you know, you know, we don't want to work with anybody to some degree, right? We do it ourselves. It's all our own interests. And whether you're an ally or an adversary, you've got your interests. I've got mine. I'm going to, I'm going to fight you, whether you're Mexico and Canada, uh, you know, on a trade deal, just as much as I'm going to fight China. You know, so you have, you know, it's a fundamental challenge to, to Trump's non-global worldview, kind of very, very internally focused worldview. And, and we're seeing the weaknesses of that. But specific to China, um, you know, like something like climate change, right? You know, you, you know, it, it knows no borders. A pandemic knows no borders. So whether you like a China or not, to control this globally, you have to be working together at some level, right? Um, at least in terms of information sharing. Or, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're battling each other, to some degree, you're not helping each other, right? Right? For instance, if China is not going to produce uh, any of the ventilators you need, you know, the extent that they're in the, spy, the supply chain for this, you know, that hurts you, you know. So you got you to find a way around some of these things. And that's why, you know, CNN's reporting yesterday about the president uh, reaching out to countries around the world for essential supplies. Listen, you know, when you've had a president who has pushed away allies and alliances and so on, you know, that, that's a change. And stature say, actually, you know, we need you now because the world, everybody in the world needs everybody to get through this. Right. Jim, we're now seeing, you saw the, obviously, uh, and reported on the news today about the 
unemployment claims, sort of record weekly claims of uh, unemployed people. You're, you know, the beginning of the the severe economic impact is uh, is here as we're as we're still battling the public health issue uh, globally. Is the is that also global? Is the economic side mm. of this something that uh, you see our allies and adversaries also dealing with at the same level we are? One hundred percent. I mean, I, before the U.S. ran into this just enormous trench, you know, that that we've fallen into. I was watching China because China, again, you talk about numbers. China lies about its economic numbers too, and China's been in the midst of a a long slowdown. And they've, they've underestimated how much that slowdown is, going down into the low single digits of economic growth. This is putting China in the first quarter into, a, you know, into depression-like statistics as well. And that has, you know, that, that has implications for the global economy, right? Because China's the second biggest economy in the world. So that has an effect on us because they, they still buy our stuff. And if they're buying less of it, you know, that affects American exporters, et cetera. Um, but it also has impact on the supply train, etc. Supply chain, rather, etc. And then Europe too. I mean, again, people forget the EU is you know that's giant as well. And you know they're stopping their economy much to the same degree we are. It's uh, it has enormous effects. I mean, we, we have not you know if you look at you know it's interesting. I was talking on the air today with Christine Romans about this that you know in. 2008, right, you had a slowdown in economic activity. People bought less, they worked less, they bought fewer cars, etc. We have a stoppage of economic activity. And that's why you're seeing the numbers here just off the scale. Now, it's temporary, but we've not experienced something like this. And that has enormous economic implications for people's lot people listening to this right now. I mean, I don't, I don't have to tell them, right? It has enormous, but it has a whole host of, it's got political impacts. It's got national security impacts. It's just, we are, we have, we've never experienced something like this before. You know, the other thing that uh, occurred this week that I think is just uh, maybe just the biggest symbol sort of internationally is the postponement of the Olympics, mm. right? And so I just, yeah, I, when I think about the sort of brotherhood, sisterhood of nations to try to collectively deal with this, I don't know where that imagery will come from for people to see a full world engaged. I mean, we can look at video uh, screen boxes of the president of the Situation Room with the G20 leaders, but I don't think that's going to cut it. And it's not like these leaders can all get together right now. I think it's extraordinarily difficult just from a messaging side to to show a complete united front uh, in, in this battle. Yeah. Listen, the G7, right, the closest group of allies, you know, the U.S. and its European partners couldn't agree, even agree on a joint statement. The easiest time in the in the world to, to issue a joint statement. We're serious about the coronavirus and we're going to work together. I don't know. You, you and I could write it, you know, sign off and, and go home. Yeah, but, they but couldn't agree Secretary on Secretary Pompeo's State Department wanted to call it the they Wuhan virus. The Wuhan no? virus. So they couldn't even agree on that statement. Certainly the most pressing agenda item today was the Wuhan virus. I mean, that shows where the politics bubbles up to the top. Because, of course, the easiest thing to do in the midst of this is to, is to, to blame the virus on a foreign country, right? Foreign threat. Now, China's behavior early on was damaging. There's no question. But a pandemic is a pandemic. It's a global problem. And if you can't even come out of a joint statement with your allies on the coronavirus, goodness, you know, that's a that's a pretty sobering thought. It sure is. Jim Shudo, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about the podcast, please do so. 
using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.